From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Paige Fernandez, your host for this month. On Wednesday, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a Mississippi abortion case, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, that challenges a nearly 49-year-old precedent protecting a pregnant person's right to an abortion established in the landmark case Roe v. Wade. The law in question is a Mississippi law that prohibits nearly all abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, violating the 1992 precedent set in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, where the ruling said that a state may not prohibit any woman from making the ultimate decision to terminate her pregnancy before viability. This law and this case is the latest in a long line of repeated attacks on reproductive freedom we've seen this fall. Jennifer Dalvin, director of the ACLU's Reproductive Freedom Project, joins us to discuss what we heard in the oral arguments and what we can do moving forward. Thanks so much for joining us, Jennifer. Thanks so much for having me, Paige. So let's get right into it. What is the question that the Supreme Court is trying to answer in this case? The law at issue is a ban on abortions at 15 weeks. But the Supreme Court is going much further. The Supreme Court is going to determine whether we have any federal constitutional right to abortion at all. And if so, whether Mississippi can ban abortions at 15 weeks. You listen to the arguments. What is your top line analysis on what the justices showed us through their questioning today? Like, what are the legal questions that really stood out to you? Well, look, we came into this case knowing that there is a conservative majority on this court. And there are many members of this court who, if they were looking at this question for the first time today, would hold that we have no right to abortion. But there is a principle in the law called stare decisis, which means that we adhere to decisions we've made before. And for the conservative justices, that is our best hope of getting them to keep Roe versus Wade and to striking down this law. That's because, as you mentioned, for almost 50 years, the Supreme Court has recognized that the Constitution protects the right to abortion prior to viability. This should be really important to them because otherwise they're going to have to turn their back on 50 years of precedent. And not only that, but they would be doing it in a way that takes away rights. It is one thing to overturn precedent that we realized was wrong because we were not protecting individual rights, but to overturn 50 years of precedent to actually take back and roll back our rights would be something truly extraordinary. So shifting to the arguments we were hearing, there seemed to be a lot of emphasis on fetal rights, viability, and personhood, and honestly, a real lack of care or concern or even much mention of the pregnant person on the other side. What do you make of this? It was sadly not surprising, but quite disheartening. You're absolutely right. I think we got, you know, maybe 45 minutes or an hour into the argument before we heard mention of the interest of the pregnant person. It wasn't until our good friend Julie Rickleman from the Center for Reproductive Rights got up to present the plaintiff's case and talked about the centrality and the importance of the ability to make this decision to women's lives that we actually started to hear mention of this. And we heard it from her. We heard it from the wonderful new uh, Solicitor General, who also did a fabulous job. We heard it a little bit from um, Justice Sotomayor. 
but there was precious little from most of the other members of the court. And otherwise, you're right, there was discussion of the interest in the state of Mississippi's interest in potential life, and lots of discussion about these technical concept of stare decisis, and not where we want the focus to be, which is on the impact on pregnant people and their families. Mississippi posed two options for the court if they wanted to sidestep and not overturn Roe while still ruling in the Mississippi law's favor. Could you outline what these two options are and what the strategy is here? Sure, Paige. I mean, I just have to say, frankly, it was, um, I guess I should use the word baloney. What the core holding of Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey is, is that before viability, which is about 24 weeks of pregnancy, the pregnant person has the right to make the decision about whether to have an abortion, full stop. And by saying that you could still uphold Mississippi's ban on abortion at 15 weeks and not overturn Roe versus Wade, well, that's, I guess to use another term, malarkey, because that violates the central principle of Roe. The other concern here is, well, if a state could ban abortion at 15 weeks, which it should not be able to. We know many people are unable to get the abortion they need before that time. But if they can be an abortion at 15 weeks, why not 13? And why not 11? And why not nine? So not overturning Roe full out avoids the headline, Roe versus Wade is overturned, but it is just a stepping stone on that path. Isn't this so-called sidestepping already happening? I'm thinking of Alabama, Texas, Arizona, and a bunch of other states with severe abortion restrictions. So really, what's the significance of Mississippi taking their case to court if these restrictions have been practically in use in so many states? Well, is it, I mean, Texas is a, is a unique example, but In the other states, what they have done is put up tremendous obstacles to getting abortion care, saying, for example, patients have to travel long distances to clinics multiple times before they can get an abortion, preventing people from using Medicaid or insurance for you to cover the cost of an abortion, forcing clinics to shut down through the use of unnecessary and burdensome trap laws. That's what they've done in the past. But what states have not been allowed to do up until this point is to just ban abortion outright. And that's what Mississippi is trying to do here, to say, we don't have to go through this pretense of putting up obstacle after obstacle to make it hard or impossible for people to get care. We can just make it illegal outright. Mississippi is arguing that prohibiting abortion does not hinder a person's undue burden as defined in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, because according to them, most women already get abortions in the first trimester before or during the pregnancy's first 15 weeks. Can you first just tell us what undue burden means? So undue burden is this concept from Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which basically sets out a couple of points. It says, one, you can't ban abortion prior to viability, as we've said, And that before viability, the state can enact restrictions designed to protect a woman's health or to promote uh, potential life. But they can't do it if it imposes an undue burden 
on the woman's ability to get abortion care. And look, that has been challenging because in many instances, we know restrictions do impose an undue burden. Um, they make it much, much harder for people to get abortion care, particularly people who uh, have low incomes, young people, undocumented people, people who live in rural areas. And yet uh, the court has upheld a number of these restrictions. Um, so that's what the undue burden test refers to. With respect to the 15-week line, it's true that approximately, you know, 90% of people who get abortions are able to do so before 15 weeks. But for those 10% who can't, this is an absolute obstacle. This is a ban as if there were a complete ban on abortion. And that includes lots of folks, folks who are struggling to get the money to get to an abortion, folks who are struggling to get to the clinic. Mississippi has one abortion clinic in the entire state. So people have to travel long distances to get to the care they need. And people's life circumstances change, right? Somebody can lose a job during the pregnancy. Somebody can develop a health condition. A romantic relationship can fall apart. Problems with other children can develop that make people decide that abortion is the best decision for themselves and their families after the 15-week line. And Mississippi's law would be an absolute ban for them. You just mentioned a lot of socioeconomic factors that play into when people are able to access abortion. And so this concept of undue burden, you know, who's to decide what an undue burden is for a certain person or whether or not this person's finances or their living situation exacerbates the burden of their pregnancy? Why does the court seem to neglect actual lived experiences of these people? Well, you know, and that's what we try to put forward in our cases. In our cases, we try to put forward the evidence that shows exactly what you said, that the laws, while they may sound technical and fine, the real effect on people's lives um, mean that they can't get the care that they need. So we will put on things like people who are, have expertise in poverty to talk about what the additional cost means, people who explain that people don't have transportation to travel hundreds of miles, people who explain that when you are a worker who doesn't have paid time off or control over their schedules. Uh, you can lose your job if you need to take extra days off, not to mention the pay that you need to support yourself and your family. The reality of trying to get childcare uh, when you have to travel far distances to get um, an abortion or make an additional trip, because the reality is that most people who have abortions already have one child. Judge Carlton Reeves, the district court judge, called Mississippi out for quote-unquote gaslighting with its 15-week abortion ban. In his opinion, he said, quote, The real reason we are here, here being debating this case in court, is simple. The state chose to pass a law it knew was unconstitutional to endorse a decades-long campaign fueled by national interest groups to ask the court to overturn Roe v. Wade. Do you agree with the statement? Well, there's no doubt that that's right. And even Mississippi now admits that, you know, in the lower courts, they tried to pretend that there was some way to uphold the 15 week ban consistent with Roe and Casey. And now they're very 
you know, sort of upfront and forthright. What they want to do is overturn Roe versus Wade, overturn Planned Parenthood versus Casey, and have the Supreme Court hold that the federal constitution provides zero protection for uh, the right to abortion. They want to give every state in the, in the nation the ability to prevent women from getting the care they need and force them to stay pregnant um, and to have children against their will. If Roe is overturned, what would it mean for the already super restrictive abortion rights in these states like Mississippi? And additionally, what would it mean for states who don't have restrictions? The truth is that it's already incredibly hard to get an abortion in many of the states that we're talking about. As I said, Mississippi has one clinic in the entire state. Kentucky has two clinics in the entire state. Many states prevent people from using their insurance to cover the cost of an abortion. Many states require people to make multiple trips to the clinic that are unnecessary just to make it harder for them to get the care that they need. And so for way too many people in this country already, the right to abortion is more theoretical than real. However, if the Supreme Court did overturn Roe versus Wade, it would be a complete ban. People would have to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles, people in the South and the Midwest, to get abortion care. And so it would have a tremendous impact. And there is no doubt that would force many, many, many people to continue their pregnancies and go through childbirth and have children that they did not want to have. And it would allow the state to conscript their bodies and to force them to remain pregnant. And we're already seeing that in Texas. We don't have to guess what this will look like. Texas has passed a law banning most abortions. And already we are seeing the just devastating effects of that law, which has been in effect for now three months today. And that is preventing people from getting the care they need, forcing them to stay pregnant, forcing them to have children. If the Supreme Court overturns Roe, we will see that play out in state after state after state in this country. This week, one of the ACLU's executive committee members and a brilliant law professor at UC Irvine, Michelle Goodwin, wrote a devastating account of enduring incest and rape by her father and said that she had an abortion at 12. Michelle is obviously not alone. This story is unfortunately all too common. Can you touch on exactly who these laws will be hurting the most? Yeah, well, that's certainly true. I mean, you're right that Michelle, um, you know, we really commend her for sharing her incredibly moving and heartbreaking personal story to explain to the country how devastating laws like Mississippi is, which happens to have no in, uh, exception for um, survivors of rape or incest. And that is just devastating. But I also want to make a hunt, you know, in completely clear that it's obviously not just victims of rape and incest who need and deserve access to abortion care. Everyone who feels like this is the right decision for themselves, for their family members, has the right to make the decision um, or should have the right to make the decision about whether they will remain pregnant, whether they will go through childbirth, whether they will have a child, 
Um, as we've talked about, it has tremendous pregnancy and childbirth has tremendous physical consequences, particularly for black women um, and for people of color. Black women have a maternal mortality rate of three times that of white women in this country. It's shameful. But there are tremendous consequences for women's physical health alone, not to mention their uh, educational, economic and future lives. Let's say that the court agrees with Mississippi and either A, completely overturns Roe, or B, sidesteps Roe. Two very bleak yet possible outcomes. Is there a future for pro-choice activists to pursue justice outside of the courts? Absolutely. Um, you know, these are strategies we've been working on for years and will become only more important. We will have to turn to the political strategies, right? We will have to turn to electing representatives that actually represent us. We know that the vast majority of people in this country do not want to see Roe versus Wade overturned. They want people to have access to abortion that is safe, that is accessible, that is affordable, that's supportive if they need to have an abortion. And so politicians are way out of step with what the American people want. And now we're going to have to start voting those folks out of office and ensure that uh, we pass laws that protect rather than take away our rights to abortion. Justice Sotomayor said in the oral argument, she said, if people believe that it's all political, it being the court and their judgments, how will we survive? How will the court survive? What did you make of this undercurrent of focus to ensure that the court isn't political? This seems like something that Chief Justice Roberts has been tied to from the get-go, and perhaps even more now. Do you think this could end up benefiting abortion access? Yeah, that's exactly right. This has been the law of the land for 50 years. And when the Supreme Court re-examined this question 30 years ago. There is absolutely nothing new here other than who's sitting on the court. And so if the Supreme Court were to overturn Roe versus Wade and 50 years of precedent, it would be entirely clear that it was only because of the new political makeup of the court. And it would tremendously undermine the legitimacy of the court. And I think that's what Justice Sotomayor was worried about. And quite frankly, what all the justices on the court should be worried about. Okay, my final question. What can our supporters do? That's a great question. There are a number of things our supporters can do. Our supporters can sign up to get action alerts from the ACLU. They can contact their senators and urge them to pass the Women's Health Protection Act, which will establish a federal protection for the right to abortion in law. And they can also support their local abortion funds, like the funds in Mississippi and the funds in Texas, to make sure that people have the resources they need to get an abortion if they need one. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Paige. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We really appreciate the feedback. Until next week, keep organizing and keep fighting.